0: The Pickwick Papers chapter thirty seven. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philipone. The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty seven. Honourably accounts for Mr Weller's absence by describing a soiree to which he was invited and went. Also relates how he was entrusted by Mr Pickwick with a private mission of delicacy and importance mr weller said mrs craddock upon the morning of this very eventful day here's a letter for you wery odd that said sam i'm afear there must be something the matter for i don't recollect any gentleman in my circle of acquaintances is capable of writing one perhaps something uncommon has taken place observed mrs craddock it must be something wery uncommon indeed as could produce a letter out of any friend of mine replied sam shaking his head dubiously "'Nothing less than a natural convulsion, as the young gentleman observed when he was took with fits. "'It can't be from the governor,' said Sam, looking at the direction. "'He always prints, I know, cause he learnt writing from the lodge bills in the booking offices. It's a wery strange thing now where this here letter canna come from.' As Sam did this, he did what a great many people do when they are uncertain about the writer of a note. Looked at the seal, and then at the front, and then at the back, and then at the sides, and then at the superscription and as a last resource thought perhaps he might as well look at the inside and try to find out from that it's wrote on giltage paper said sam as he unfolded it and sealed in bronze wax with the top of a door-key now for it and with a very grave face mr weller slowly read as follows Mr. John Smocker, the gentleman who had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Weller at the house of their mutual acquaintance, Mr. Bantam, a few days since, begs to enclose Mr. Weller the herewith invitation. If Mr. Weller will call on Mr. John Smocker at nine o'clock, Mr. John Smocker will have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Weller. Signed, John Smocker the envelope was directed to blank weller esq at mr pickwick's and in a parenthesis in the left-hand corner were the words airy bell as an instruction to the bearer Well said sam this is comin it rather powerful this is i never heerd a boiled leg o mutton called swarry afore i wonder what they call a roast one however without waiting to debate the point sam at once betook himself into the presence of mr pickwick and requested leave of absence for that evening which was readily granted with this permission, and the street-door key, Sam Weller issued forth a little before the appointed time, and strolled leisurely towards Queen Square, which he had no sooner gained than he had the satisfaction of beholding Mr. John Smoker, leaving his powdered head against a lamp-post at a short distance off, smoking a cigar through an amber tube. "'How do you do, Mr. Weller?' said Mr. John Smoker, raising his hat gracefully with one hand, while he gently waved the other in a condescending manner how do you do sir why reasonably convalescent replied sam how do you find yourself my dear fellow only so-so said mr john smocker ah you've been working too hard observed sam i was fearful you would it won't do you know you must not give way to that ere uncompromising spirit of your own. it's not so much that mr weller replied mr john smocker as bad wine i'm afraid i've been dissipating all oh, that's it is it said sam that's a worry-bad complaint that and yet the temptation you see mr weller observed mr john smocker ah to be sure said sam plunged into the very vortex of society you know mr weller said john smocker with a sigh dreadful indeed rejoined sam but it's always the way said mr john smocker if your destiny leads you into public life and public station you must expect to be subjected to temptations which other people is free from mr weller precisely what my uncle said when he went into the public line remarked sam and wery right the old gentleman was for he drank hisself to death in something less than a quarter Mr. John Smoker looked deeply indignant at any parallel being drawn between himself and the deceased gentleman in question, but as Sam's face was in the most immovable state of calmness, he thought better of it and looked affable again. "'Perhaps we had better be walking,' said Mr. Smoker, consulting a copper timepiece which dwelt at the bottom of a deep watch-pocket, and was raised to the surface by means of a black string with a copper key at the other end. "'Props we had,' replied Sam. "'or they'll overdo the swarry, and that'll spile it.' "'Have you drank the waters, Mr. Weller?' inquired his companion as they walked towards High Street. "'Once,' replied Sam. "'What did you think of him, sir?' "'I thought they was particularly unpleasant,' replied Sam. "'Ah,' said Mr. John Smoker. "'you dislike the killabeat taste, perhaps?' "'I don't know much about that air, said Sam. "'I thought they'd a wery strong flavour o' warm, flat irons.' that is the killer beat, mr weller observed mr john smocker contemptuously well if it is it's a wery inexpressive word that's all said sam it may be but i ain't much in the chemical line myself so i can't say and here to the great horror of mr john smocker sam weller began to whistle i beg your pardon mr weller said mr john smocker agonising at the exceeding ungenteel sound will you take my arm well thank you. you're wery good but i won't deprive you of it replied sam "'I've rather a way of putting my hands in my pockets if it's all the same to you.' As Sam said this, he suited the action to the word, and whistled far louder than before. "'This way,' said his new friend, apparently much relieved, as they turned down a by-street, "'we shall soon be there.' "'Shall we?' said Sam, quite unmoved by the announcement of his close vicinity to the select footman of Bath. "'Yes,' said Mr. John Smocker. "'Don't be alarmed, Mr. Weller.' "'Oh, no,' said Sam you'll see some very handsome uniforms mr weller continued mr john smocker and perhaps you'll find some of the gentlemen rather high at first you know but they'll soon come round that's very kind on em replied sam and you know resumed mr john smocker with an air of sublime protection you know as you're a stranger perhaps they'll be rather hard upon you at first they won't be wery cruel, though will they inquired Sam? No, no, replied Mr. John Smocker, pulling forth the fox's head and taking a gentlemanly pinch. There are some funny dogs among us, and they will have their joke, you know, but you mustn't mind em you mustn't mind em I'll try and bear up again such a regular knock-down o talent, replied Sam. That's right, said Mr. John Smoker, putting forth his fox's head and elevating his own. I'll stand by you by this time they had reached a small greengrocer's shop which mr john smoker entered followed by sam who the moment he got behind him relapsed into a series of the very broadest and most unmitigated grins and manifested other demonstrations of being in a highly enviable state of inward merriment crossing the greengrocer's shop and putting their hats on the stairs in the little passage behind it they walked into a small parlour and here the full splendour of the scene burst upon mr weller's view a couple of tables were put together in the middle of the parlour, covered with three or four cloths of different ages and dates of washing, arranged to look as much like one as the circumstances of the case would allow. Upon these were laid knives and forks for six or eight people. Some of the knife-handles were green, others red, and a few yellow. And as all the forks were black, the combination of colours was exceedingly striking plates for a corresponding number of guests were warming behind the fender, and the guests themselves were warming before it, the chief and most important of whom appeared to be a stoutish gentleman in a bright crimson coat with long tails, vividly red breeches, and a cocked hat, who was standing with his back to the fire and had apparently just entered, for besides running his cocked hat on his head, he carried in his hand a high stick, such as gentlemen of his profession usually elevate in a sloping position over the roofs of carriages smocker my lad your fin," said the gentleman with the cocked hat mr smocker dovetailed the top joint of his right-hand little finger into that of the gentleman with the cocked hat and said he was charmed to see him looking so well well they tell me i am looking pretty blooming said the man with the cocked hat and it's a wonder too i've been following our old woman about two hours a day for the last fortnight and if a constant contemplation of the manner in which she hooks and eyes that infernal lavender-coloured old gown of hers behind isn't enough to throw anybody into a low state of despondency for life. Stop my quarter's salary!' At this the assembled selections laughed very heartily, and one gentleman in a yellow waistcoat with a coach-trimming border whispered a neighbour in green-foil smalls that Tuckle was in spirits to-night. "'By the bye, said Mr. Tuckle, "'Smocker, my boy, you—' The remainder of the sentence was forwarded into Mr. John Smocker's ear by whisper. Oh dear me! I quite forgot," said Mr. John Smoker. "A gentleman, my friend, Mr. Weller. Sorry to keep the fire off you, Weller," said Mr. Tuckle with a familiar nod. "Hope you're not cold, Weller." "Not by no means," Blazes replied Sam. "It'd be a wery chilly subject as felt cold when you stood opposite. You'd save coals if they put you behind the fender in the waiting room at a public office. You would." As this retort appeared to convey a rather personal allusion to Mr. Tuckle's crimson livery, that gentleman looked majestic for a few seconds, but gradually, edging away from the fire, broke into a forced smile and said it wasn't bad. "'Worry much obliged for your good opinion, sir,' replied Sam. "'We shall get on by degrees, I dare say. We'll try a better one, by and by.' At this point the conversation was interrupted by the arrival of a gentleman in orange-coloured plush, accompanied by another selection in purple cloth, with a great extent of stocking. The newcomers, having been welcomed by the old ones, Mr. Tuckle put the question that supper be ordered in, which was carried unanimously. The greengrocer and his wife then arranged upon the table a boiled leg of mutton, hot with caper sauce, turnips, and potatoes mr tuckle took the chair and was supported at the other end of the board by the gentleman in orange plush the greengrocer put on a pair of washed leather gloves to hand the plates with and stationed himself behind mr tuckle's chair harris said mr tuckle in a commanding voice sir said the greengrocer have you got your gloves on yes sir then take the kiver off yes sir the greengrocer did as he was told, with a show of great humility, and obsequiously handed Mr. Tuckle the carving-knife, in doing which he accidentally gaped. "'What do you mean by that, sir?' said Mr. Tuckle, with great asperity. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' replied the crestfallen greengrocer. "'I didn't mean to do it, sir. I was up very late last night, sir.' "'I tell you what my opinion of you is, Harris,' said Mr. Tuckle, with a most impressive air. "'You're a vulgar beast.' "'I hope, gentlemen,' said Harris, "'that you won't be severe with me, gentlemen. "'I am very much obliged to you indeed, gentlemen, for your patronage, "'and also for your recommendations, gentlemen. "'Whenever additional assistance in waiting is required, "'I hope, gentlemen, I give satisfaction.' "'No, you don't, sir,' said Mr. Tuckle. "'Very far from it, sir.' "'We consider you an inattentive rascal,' said the gentleman in the orange plush. "'And a low thief,' added the gentleman in the green-foil smalls. "'And an unreclaimable blaggard,' added the gentleman in purple. The poor greengrocer bowed very humbly while these little epithets were bestowed upon him in the true spirit of the very smallest tyranny, and when everybody had said something to show his superiority, Mr. Tuckle proceeded to carve the leg of mutton and to help the company.' This important business of the evening had hardly commenced, when the door was thrown briskly opened, and another gentleman, in a light blue suit and leaden buttons, made his appearance. "'Against the rule,' said Mr. Tuckle. "'Too late, too late.' "'No, no, positively I couldn't help it,' said the gentleman in blue. "'I appeal to the company, an a third of gallantry now, an appointment at the theatre. "'Oh, that indeed,' said the gentleman in the orange plush. "'Yes, really now, honour bright,' said the man in blue. I made a promise to fetch our youngest daughter at half-past ten, and she is such an uncommonly fine gal that I rarely hadn't the art to disappoint her. No offence to the present company, sir, but a petticoat, sir, a petticoat, sir, is irrevocable.' "'I begin to suspect there's something in that quarter,' said Tuckle, as the newcomer took his seat next Sam. "'I've remarked once or twice that she leans very heavy on your shoulder when she gets in and out of the carriage.' "'Oh, rally, rally, Tuckle, you shouldn't,' said the man in blue. "'It's not fair. I may have said to one or two friends that she was a very divine creature, and had once refused one or two offers without any obvious cause, but—' "'No, no, no, indeed, Tuckle. Before strangers, too. It's not right. You shouldn't. Delicacy, my dear friend, delicacy!' And the man in blue, pulling up his neckerchief and adjusting his coat-cuffs, nodded and frowned, as if there were more behind, which he could say if he liked, but was bound in honour to suppress. The man in blue, being a light-haired, stiff-necked, free-and-easy sort of footman, with a swaggering air and pert face, had attracted Mr. Weller's special attention at first. But when he began to come out in this way, Sam felt more than ever disposed to cultivate his acquaintance, so he launched himself into the conversation at once with characteristic independence. "'Your health, sir,' said Sam. "'I like your conversation much. I think it's wery pretty.' at this the man in blue smiled as if it were a compliment he was well used to but looked approvingly on sam at the same time and said he hoped he should be better acquainted with him for without any flattery at all he seemed to have the makings of a very nice fellow about him and to be just the man after his own heart you're wery good sir said sam what a lucky fellow you are how do you mean inquired the gentleman in blue that ere young lady replied sam she knows what's what she does ah oh, i see mr weller closed one eye and shook his head from side to side in a manner which was highly gratifying to the personal vanity of the gentleman in blue i'm afraid you're a cunning fellow mr weller said that individual no no said sam i'll leave all that air to you it's a great deal more in your way than mine as the gentleman on the right side of the garden wall said to the man on the wrong one when the mad bull was a comin' up the lane "'Well, well, Mr. Weller,' said the gentleman in blue. "'I think she has remarked my air and manner, Mr. Weller. "'I should think she couldn't wery well be off of that,' said Sam. "'Have you any little thing of that kind in hand, sir?' inquired the favoured gentleman in blue, drawing a toothpick from his waistcoat pocket. "'Not exactly,' said Sam. "'There's no daughters at my place, else, of course, I should have made up to von on them. "'As it is, I don't think I can do with anything under a female Marcus.' "'I might keep up with a young woman of large property as hadn't a title, if she made wery fierce love to me. Not else.' "'Of course not, Mr. Weller,' said the gentleman in blue. "'One can't be troubled, you know. And we know, Mr. Weller, we who are men of the world, that a good uniform must work its way with the women, sooner or later. In fact, that's the only thing between you and me that makes the service worth entering into.' "'Just so,' said Sam. "'That's it, of course.' When this confidential dialogue had gone thus far, glasses were placed round, and every gentleman ordered what he liked best before the public-house shut up. The gentleman in blue and the man in orange, who were the chief exquisites of the party, ordered cold shrub and water, but with the others, gin and water, sweet, appeared to be the favourite beverage. Sam called the greengrocer a desperate willin' and ordered a large bowl of punch, two circumstances which seemed to raise him very much in the opinion of the selections. "'Gentlemen,' said the man in blue, with an air of the most consummate dandyism, "'I'll give you the ladies. Come. Here, here,' said Sam. "'The young missuses.' Here there was a loud cry of order. And Mr. John Smocker, as the gentleman who had introduced Mr. Weller to that company, begged to inform him that the word he had just made use of was unparliamentary. "'Which word was that ere sir?' inquired Sam. "'Missuses, sir,' replied Mr. John Smocker, with an alarming frown. "'We don't recognise such distinctions here.' "'Oh, wery good,' said Sam. "'Then I'll amend the observation, and call them the dear creatures, if Blazes will allow me.' Some doubt appeared to exist in the mind of the gentleman in the green-foil smalls whether the chairman could be legally appealed to as Blazes, but as the company seemed more disposed to stand upon their own rights than his, the question was not raised. The man with the cocked hat breathed short and looked long at Sam, but apparently thought it as well to say nothing, in case he should get the worst of it after a short silence a gentleman in an embroidered coat reaching down to his heels and a waistcoat of the same which kept one half of his legs warm stirred his gin and water with great energy and putting himself upon his feet all at once by a violent effort said that he was desirous of offering a few remarks to the company whereupon the person in the cocked hat had no doubt that the company would be very happy to hear any remarks that the man in the long coat might wish to offer i feel a great delicacy gentlemen in coming forward said the man in the long coat having the misfortune to be a coachman, and being only admitted as an honorary member of these agreeable soirees. But I do feel myself bound, gentlemen—drove into a corner, if I may use the expression, to make known an afflicting circumstance which has come to my knowledge, which has happened, I may say, without the soap of my everyday contemplation. Gentlemen, our friend mister Withers, Whiffers—everybody looked at the individual in orange—our friend Mr. Withers has resigned." Universal astonishment fell upon the hearers. Each gentleman looked in his neighbour's face, and then transferred his glance to the upstanding coachman. "'You may well be surprised, gentlemen,' said the coachman. "'I will not venture to state the reasons of this irreparable loss to the service, but I will beg Mr. Whiffers to state them himself, for the improvement and imitation of his admiring friends.' The suggestion being loudly approved of, Mr. Whiffers explained— he said he certainly could have wished to have continued to hold the appointment he had just resigned. The uniform was extremely rich and expensive, the females of the family was most agreeable, and the duties of the situation was not, he was bound to say, too heavy. The principal service was that required of him, being that he should look out of the hall-window as much as possible, in company with another gentleman who had also resigned. He could have wished to have spared that company the painful and disgusting detail in which he was about to enter but as the explanation had been demanded of him he had no alternative but to state boldly and distinctly that he had been required to eat cold meat it was impossible to conceive the disgust which this avowal awakened in the bosoms of the hearers loud cries of shame mingled with groans and hisses prevailed for a quarter of an hour mr Wiffers then added that he feared a portion of this outrage might be traced to his own forbearing and accommodating disposition he had a distinct recollection of having once consented to eat salt butter and he had moreover on an occasion of sudden sickness in the house so far forgotten himself as to carry a coal-scuttle up to the second floor he trusted he had not lowered himself in the good opinion of his friends by this frank confession of his faults and he hoped the promptness with which he had resented the last unmanly outrage on his feelings to which he had referred would reinstate him in their good opinion if he had mr Wiffers' address was responded to with a shout of admiration and the health of the interesting martyr was drunk in a most enthusiastic manner for this the martyr returned thanks, and proposed their visitor, Mr. Weller, a gentleman whom he had not the pleasure of an intimate acquaintance with, but who was the friend of Mr. John Smoker, which was a sufficient letter of recommendation to any society of gentlemen whatever or wherever. On this account he should have been disposed to have given Mr. Weller's health with all the honours, if his friends had been drinking wine but as they were taking spirits by a way of change and as it might be inconvenient to empty a tumbler at every toast he should propose that the honours be understood at the conclusion of this speech everybody took a sip in honour of sam and sam having ladled out and drunk two full glasses of punch in honour of himself returned thanks in a neat speech wery much obliged to you old fellers said sam ladling away at the punch in the most unembarrassed manner possible for this here compliment which comin' from such a quarter, is very overwhelmin. I've heard a good deal on you as a body, but I will say that I never thought you were such uncommon nice men as I find you are. I only hope that you'll take care of yourselves and not compromisin' nothin' o' your dignity, which is a wery charming thing to see when one is out a walkin', and has always made me wery happy to look at, ever since I was a boy about half as high as the brass-headed stick of my wary respectable friend Blazes there as to the victim of oppression in the suit of brimstone all i can say o him is that i hope he'll get just as good a berth as he deserves in which case it's wery little cold swarry as ever he'll be troubled with again here sam sat down with a pleasant smile and his speech having been vociferously applauded the company broke up why you don't mean to say you're a-goin old feller said sam weller to his friend mr john smocker i must indeed said mr smocker i promised bantam "Oh, wery well said sam that's another thing Perhaps he'd resigned if you disappointed him. You ain't a-goin', Blazes?' "'Yes, I am,' said the man with the cocked hat. "'What, and leave three-quarters of a bowl of punch behind you?' said Sam. "'Nonsense! Sit down again.' Mr. Tuckle was not proof against this invitation. He laid aside the cocked hat and stick which he had just taken up, and said that he would have one glass for good fellowship's sake. As the gentleman in blue went home the same way as Mr. Tuckle, he was prevailed upon to stop too. When the punch was about half gone, Sam ordered in some oysters from the greengrocer's shop, and the effect of both was so extremely exhilarating that Mr. Tuckle, dressed out with the cocked hat and stick, danced the frog-horn pipe among the shells on the table, while the gentleman in blue played an accompaniment upon an ingenious musical instrument formed of a hair-comb upon a curl paper. At last, when the punch was all gone, and the night nearly so, they sallied forth to see each other home. Mr. Tuckle no sooner got into the open air than he was seized with a sudden desire to lie on the curbstone. Sam thought it would be a pity to contradict him, and so he let him have his own way. As the cocked hat would have been spoiled if it left there, Sam very considerately flattened it down on the head of the gentleman in blue, and putting the big stick in his hand, propped him up against his own street door, rang the bell, and walked quietly home. At a much earlier hour next morning than his usual time of rising, Mr. Pickwick walked downstairs, completely dressed, and rang the bell. "'Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, when Mr. Weller appeared in reply to the summons, "'shut the door.' Mr. Weller did so. "'There was an unfortunate occurrence here last night, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'which gave Mr. Winkle some cause to apprehend violence for Mr. Dowler.' "'So I heard from the old lady downstairs, sir,' replied Sam. "'And I'm sorry to say, Sam,' continued Mr. Pickwick, with a most perplexed countenance, that in dread of this violence Mr. Winkle has gone away. "'Gone away?' said Sam. "'Left the house early this morning, without the slightest previous communication with me,' replied Mr. Pickwick, "'and is gone I know not where.' "'He should have stopped and farted out, sir,' replied Sam contemptuously. "'It wouldn't take much to settle that there Dowler, sir.' "'Well, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'I may have my doubts of his great bravery and determination also. But however that may be, Mr. Winkle is gone.' he must be found sam found and brought back to me and s'pose he won't come back sir said sam he must be made sam said mr pickwick who's to do it sir inquired sam with a smile you replied mr pickwick wery good sir with these words mr weller left the room and immediately afterwards was heard to shut the street door in two hours time he returned with so much coolness as if he had been dispatched on the most ordinary message possible and brought the information that an individual in every respect answering mr winkle's description had gone over to bristol that morning by the branch coach from the royal hotel sam said mr pickwick grasping his hand you're a capital fellow an invaluable fellow you must follow him sam certainly sir replied mr weller "'The instant you discover him, write to me immediately, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'And if he attempts to run away from you, knock him down or lock him up. "'You have my full authority, Sam.' "'I'll be very careful, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'You'll tell him,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'that I am highly excited, highly displeased, "'and naturally indignant at the very extraordinary course he has thought proper to pursue.' "'I will, sir,' replied Sam. "'You'll tell him,' said Mr. Pickwick, that if he does not come back to this very house with you, he will come back with me, for I will come and fetch him.' "'I'll mention that eh, yes, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'You think you can find him, Sam?' said Mr. Pickwick, looking earnestly in his face. "'Oh, I'll find him if he's any there,' returned Sam, with great confidence. "'Very well,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Then the sooner you go, the better.' With these instructions, Mr. Pickwick placed a sum of money in the hands of his faithful servitor, and ordered him to start for Bristol immediately, in pursuit of the fugitive. Sam put a few necessaries in a carpet-bag, and was ready for starting. He stopped when he had got to the end of the passage, and, walking quietly back, thrust his head in at the parlour door. "'Sir,' whispered Sam. "'Well, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'I fully understand my instructions, do I, sir?' inquired Sam. "'I hope so,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'It's regularly understood about the knocking down, is it, sir?' inquired Sam. "'Perfectly,' replied Pickwick. "'Thoroughly. Do what you think necessary. You have my orders.' Sam gave a nod of intelligence, and, withdrawing his head from the door, set forth on his pilgrimage with a light heart. End of chapter 37